we're all meant to be unique. And so know who you are, embrace your uniqueness, and your career is an expression of you. It can be easier said than done for many people. They're like, yeah, really? (laughs) And that's when you allow support to discover who you really are. And you might choose to continue. I've spoken with many people who say, oh, okay, you know what? So I actually love what I'm doing. I just want to be able to do things slightly differently that allow me to thrive in a dog-eat-dog world. That is the voice of Dr. Brigitte Tan, author of Seeking Peace, The Proven Five-Finger Method to Thrive Through Change Effortlessly. She joins me today to discuss principles to help you thrive in the face of adversity. You're listening to the podcast with John C. Lemon. Dr. Tan, welcome. Thank you, John. It's an honor and a delight to be here. You recently hosted Thriving in a Dog-Eat-Dog World, Three Keys to Effortlessly Face Adversities. What was the intended impact upon those who participated in that workshop? What I hope to accomplish in that workshop for my connections on LinkedIn, impact that I would love is To be able to help people to have more ease, there are a lot of people mentioning increased stress, as we know from a lot of different things, including the continuing effect from the pandemic, and even more burned out, burned out and just unsettledness and so forth. My hope for that is to help people navigate on how to be able to have some really key, basic, simple tools that they can use on day-to-day basis, which is what I provided in that workshop, in that they, even as things happen in, in their life, in their work life, they'll be able to navigate that easily, reducing their burnout and improving their work quality of life, their quality of life in general. And if you are a team leader, if you apply it with your team, improve team loyalty to you and to the workplace. What were some of those keys to handling burnout? I imagine that is a significant problem considering the backdrop that we're living in at this time. I gave three keys in there because of the limitation of time, partly. But the basic fundamental keys, the first one is awareness. Part of the awareness is to recognize that there is hidden grief, or what I call hidden grief, or the more technical form is unrecognized grief. And then you can go there with many, many fancy terms for that. But a lot of people think grief is only from death, divorce, dire diagnosis, or job loss. There are actually more than 40 different causes of grief, and any form of that. Grief, actually, by definitions, is the unsettling feelings caused by a change in your familiar routine or by hope unmet. Now, anybody experience any change recently? Yes, absolutely. And so that's the first key. And the second, to have an awareness how this impacted you, how hidden grief will influence your ability to see things and actually accelerate and predispose you to things like burnout. 
And then the second key is to have effective practical tools. This is where I share how to use the beach ball as well as the five fingers method. And then to have mastery, you can have all the tools in your toolbox, but if you never use them, it's not going to do any good for you. And you want to use them well. 40 different causes of grief. So would you say it's not if we experience grief, it's a more of a matter of when? Absolutely. It is a, it's a part of life and it is so prevalent and unfortunately at the same time so unrecognized. Most people don't know that we have a pandemic before the coronavirus pandemic. There has always already been a grief pandemic before the coronavirus. That's why in 2017 study by the Grief Recovery Institute, it shows that grief costs the workplace $117 billion every year in the U.S. alone. That's a 50% increase from just the 13 years prior. And that $107 billion, does that go towards treatment, missed days of work? What does that go to? It's not so much toward treatment, but it is actually, it's one of those profit loss caused by loss of productivity. When you're grieving, you don't focus. When you're grieving, you called out, you snap, and then if you snap at the wrong client, you lose the client. When you're grieving, you, you might get moody and then create a very questionable work culture that's not pleasant for you or anybody. So, and then when you're grieving, it's influenced your physical health as well. And then you make, because you're not focused, you make mistakes. Somebody says that, you know, they are grieving and they, and they make themselves go to work and they basically sat there and they sat the whole morning and it was past lunch hour and they didn't even realize they've been sitting there. That is huge loss of productivity. And so all those, the loss in productivity, the culture, when the culture is not something that's fulfilling to the, uh, the employee, they leave. We have in the past when I was at the clinic, we have doctors because the supervisors doesn't know what to say and do with grieving people, uh, people who are grieving. They say the wrong thing at the wrong time. And we have like the, one of the highest producing doctor took off, moved one mile down the street, took all his clients with him, cost the hospital a significant amount of money. I'm hoping that business owners, corporations recognize this not as a reason to fire people because they're not being productive, but that they would recognize a need to address the grief of their employees. Is that a trend? Do you see more companies reaching out and developing programs to address grief at work? It is actually, thankfully, is an awareness that more and more companies become aware. They learn to realize that firing people left and right will only increase costs because the cost of retraining and replacement is astronomical. That's part of the cost of grief. And so they realize that companies do development program anyway, so incorporate that. And that will be a win-win. It win for the company because it will raise your bottom line and it win for the employee because they will work in there happily and feel good. And they, the employee know that the company care about them. It's naturally, it's make them very loyal. You can pay people some astronomical amount. We mentioned, briefly touched this. But if the employee feel that they got to check their, they sell their, their soul to the devil. Seeking peace, the 
proven five-finger method to thrive through change effortlessly. How does your book and workshop, how they marry together, how do they flow together? Absolutely. The workshop was an hour and there is no way for me to teach every skill and the book has it's a little book here and it's actually written in a in a story way but each story carry a message and so there is no way for me to teach even 10% of what's in the book in an hour here's what you got to know and and if you want to learn more either get the book or actually the book I do teach out of the book but it is actually a whole online course that takes several weeks to run, not an hour, and where you can do exercise and things like that to make it meaningful for you. For some, busying themselves with work, that's the bridge that gets them through difficult times. What happens when work becomes affected by grief? And before you answer that question, I want to read from your book. Another reason for a retiree to experience grief is that many people identify themselves with what they do. And retirement can make them feel as if they have lost their identity. We're in a dog-eat-dog world, which was a part of your workshop title. How do we strive in our careers and not end up with an unhealthy identity associated with the work we do? So many people will have different answers for that. To me, what I find helpful for my clients and myself is know who you are first. And your career is an expression of you. And so we are all meant to be unique. The book talk about that as well. We're all meant to be unique. And so know who you are, embrace your uniqueness. And your career is an expression of you. And whether you are working in Alaska or in California or somewhere else in the world, you are you. Now, it can be easier said than done for many people. They're like, yeah, really? <laughs> and that's when you allow support if you like, well, okay, I have been doing this and I only know myself as a, as a banker and I'm not even sure who I am anymore. Well, if you are at that state and you feel the longing or the pressure, then that is an opportunity to allow yourself some support to discover who you really are. And you might choose to continue. I've spoken with many people who say, oh, okay, you know what? So I actually love what I'm doing. I love being a banker. I just want to be able to do things slightly differently that allow me to thrive in a dog-eat-dog world. Are there any steps that someone can explore to find out who they are, to discover who they are? Is that anything possible to come close to addressing in this conversation? The answers for that in the bottom line is to, first of all, not let fear. I'm quoting Jim Carrey. Okay. Fear, disguise as practicality, be in your way. Many people say, well, before they even allow themselves to discover what it is they really would love to do and what calling their heart and express their, themselves in a productive way. We're not so talking about go and sit in the park and do nothing. But you can be doing what you love and generating income. Because like you said earlier in our conversations just now, we all got to eat and kind of, you know, pay bill for our roof. So you know, there are ways to do that. So the first step I would say is don't let fear disguise as practicality, quoting Jim Carrey, the actor, stops you. And go from there 
allowing support and taking the next step and the next step. I love that. Don't let fear disguised as practicality keep you from moving on. When moving along in your life, we cannot operate on someone else's timetable. You mentioned a client in your book who was told after six months or so miscarriage that perhaps it was time for her to move on. How do we find the timetable that's right for us? First is to know that everybody's different and you allow yourself to be you. And then I would say moving through grief can be very easily. I say it's very similar to moving through a maze. If you're like in a big giant maze, uh, corn maze or what have you. And so it's, it's basically like that. And so if you are not certain with anything, allow support. There are people who has been through that. There are people who are specifically trained, the grief counselor, grief coaches, grief expert, who are specifically trained. And most of these people has been through what you have been through. Not everybody been through everything, but they're usually trained in that. And if you meet somebody who, you know, that doesn't feel quite right with you, go find somebody else's and not everybody fits everybody, right? You are in a maze. Imagine you, somebody drop you. This is what grief like to me. And many of my clients say this is how it feels. It's almost like somebody took you out of your bedroom and throw you inside of a maze and it's foggy. How are you going to get out of there? No wonder everybody gets confused. Well, you allow support. So somebody can come in with a flashlight and hold your hand and get you out of there. Now you got to walk through this. We don't, we're not recommending, you know, like excavating you. That doesn't happen with grief. You still got to walk through the maze and you got to walk it yourself. We cannot carry you, but at least you move through it a whole lot safer and a lot more efficiently. All of my friends are telling me that I should have moved on by now, but I can't. I don't really want to because I love my baby, even though he was never born. How many of us struggle with moving on because we don't want to? A lot of people struggle with moving on until they understand what moving on is. Most people, I think it's, it says somewhere else in the book, where a lot of people believe that moving on means stop loving. Moving on means you got to forget. And it's nothing like that. Moving on is simply saying that I still remember, I still love just as much, but I'm actually as an honor and a celebration to the one I love. And this is when somebody passed away in particular, that I am actually going to do things that is good for me now. You think about it, your loved ones wants you to be healthy and, and thrive. If somebody truly loves someone, you, you know, you want your son, your, your whomever to thrive. And so even after they pass, that person's truly love you. They want you to thrive, not sit and cry every day and unable to function. So moving on means it's actually honoring and celebrating the loved one. And continue loving them and remembering them with the best possible memory. You say this in your book as well. Our metamorphosis typically is not linear, nor is it an easy process. How are we benefited when we acknowledge that fact? Life is messy. 
when you acknowledge that fact that life is messy, it will definitely contribute to you being able to to thrive a whole lot better in a dog eat dog world <laughs> because it's a little bit of an expectation. It, it's one of those things that. As when we discuss this at some point, John, you said, you know, so understanding what grief is, it is not if you're going to grieve, to encounter moments where you're grieving, it is when. And when you understand that life is messy, that you are going to have something happen in life that will hit you like a baseball bat, <laughs> and then you're like, okay, if it's happening, it is part of life. Life in a little, in a way, is like a circle, and it's a big giant circle that we walk through. Start point, you walk in circle until you get back. End point, and like if you ever go for a long, long, long walk, sometimes you walk through a dark valley. Sometimes in the middle of your walk, it might have rain and storm, which is right now happening here, which is very unusual for California. Yes. And sometimes it's sunny and it's beautiful and you walk through this lovely meadow. And if you understand that being part of life, you will be able to... Now, when it's raining and storm, you might want to allow some support and some shelter so you don't get hit by lightning. If you're able to understand that concept, it will allow a lot more at ease and at peace with anything that's going on in your life. Once we take time to notice the little things that helps us with our breathing, it helps us to process what we're going through better. And then you also say that when we find the strength, helping and serving others is also beneficial to us. How do we find that calmness to even notice the little things in life, as you say in your book? First of all, having the awareness. And the second is like with everything else, if you are not able to do it on your own, you want to give yourself the benefit of support. Nobody become an Olympic athlete. Olympians are actually, you know, they're very motivated people, but they're actually very grounded people as well. You can't be all stressed out and high-performing about anything, really. Nobody become an Olympian without support. Nobody become an Olympian without multitude of coaches, actually. So the same thing, if you find yourself in the middle of a maze of grief and it's foggy and you notice that you don't know what to do, you don't know how to get out of there, and you are the the natural, normal, which is very normal, by the way, the normal things for people is to panic and to get overwhelmed, and you have the awareness what's going on, and that's where education, that's why I do seminar and so forth. But if you have the awareness of what's going on and you don't know what to do, allow the right kind of support. And we mentioned some people at some point, many people are armchair psychologists, people giving advice that, that sometimes only create more harm, actually. So allow the expert support. People will really know what they are doing. That if you are in the midst of grief, there are people who say, oh, okay, you know, we'll help you. And then we'll just let you talk and talk and talk and then skip spinning in circle. Versus, for instance, the grief recovery method, one thing that's very different than many other systems out there, is actually it's a very systematic way that in six to eight weeks, we take you through the path. 
So you don't keep spinning in circle and talking your yourself nonstop and not getting too much of anywhere three years down the road. So it's actually a very systematic system. The same thing with the other method that I use. It's all very systematic, taking you at your own speed. You move, You still move at your own speed, but at the same time, it shows you the step-by-step method. And usually, practically everybody, when we show you the step, you are able, and it's still tailored to you, you are able to, some people are actually able to just trot right through and say, we, okay. And some people, you know, they crawl to things, but at least you crawl through the maze and get out of that with help. I greatly appreciate the work that you do. I've mentioned that to you before. I believe that we are in an interesting moment here in the United States. If someone wants to work with you, how can they contact you and how can they begin working alongside you? You can definitely email me and that is Burjit at Burjit10.com, B-I-R-G-I-T-T-E-T-A-N, Burjit at Burjit10.com. You can definitely connect with me through my website and that is from grieving to joyfulliving.com. You can also message us on the channel that you see. I'm also on LinkedIn and on Facebook and Instagram. Dr. Tan, thank you for those practical tips and the encouragement to thrive. Thank you, John. Dr. Bridget Tan, author of Seeking Peace, The Proven Five-Finger Method to Thrive Through Change Effortlessly. For additional information on thriving in the face of adversity, Visit from grieving to joyful living.com. That's our podcast for today. I'm John C. Lemon. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next time.